Well, there's a story of a man who had worked all of his life, and he'd saved all of his money. He was a very stingy man, and he loved his money just about more than anything. How many of you guys know somebody like that? How many of you guys are sitting right next to you? No, I'm just kidding. Don't say that. <laughs> well, just before he died, he says to his wife, he says, now listen to me. He says, when I die, I want you to take all of my money, and I want you to put it inside of the casket with me. I've worked my entire life for this, and I'm going to take all of my money with me into the afterlife. So he got his wife to promise him. And she finally said, fine, I will put all your money in the casket with you. Well, the day finally came, and the man is stretched out in his casket. When the minister finished the service, just before the undertaker got ready to close the casket, the wife suddenly yells, wait a minute! And she runs up to the casket with a very large shoebox, and she places the shoebox inside of the casket. The undertakers close the casket, they roll it away. She gets back to the audience and her friend says to her, I hope you, or to the crowd, she says, I, I hope you weren't crazy enough to put all of that money in there with that stingy old man. She said, of course I did. She said, I promised. She said, I'm a woman of my word and I promised him that I was going to put every cent in that casket with him, so that's what I did. The friend looked at her and said, you mean to tell me you put all of his money in the casket with him. I sure did, said the wife. I got it all together, I put it in my account, and I wrote him a check. <laughs> well, some of, you, some of you women out there saying that's a good idea. Well, there you have it, your joke of the day, the things I got to do around here to keep you awake. It's a tough job. We're in our series, uh, Movement Twenty. 40, uh, we're, we're using the uh, acronym FAITH, this is our vision for a, as a church over the next 20 years, and we're using the acronym of FAITH, F-A-I-T-H, to lay this out. A few weeks ago, we discussed the letter F, the letter F stands for Feed and Clothe the Hurting, if you remember that. Then the following week, a couple weeks ago, was the letter A, the letter A stands for Answer the Cry of Our City, Lynn preached that one. We talked about going after the children and the youth of our city because if these young people of our city can surrender their life to God through the power of the Holy Spirit, they will break the curse and change their family tree. 20 years from now, these 10-year-old kids will be 30. They'll be raising families of their own. If our city's going to have lasting change, we have to be intentional about teaching our young people the ways of God. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6 says, direct your children onto the right path, and then when they are older, they will not leave it. Today is the letter I. I stands for invest in the kingdom. Now, a lot has happened in three years since I've last covered this. The goal with the letter I is twofold. Number one, it's our goal as a church to be completely debt-free by the year 2040. And over the past three years, we've made some great progress towards this. We got a miracle deal on a refinance for our mortgage, and we decided to continue to pay the original payment, knocking almost six years off the loan almost overnight. We are now paying more than double on our principal that we were paying before. 
On top of that, we got our parking lot redone. That was a miracle. Back when this building was, was put up, they ran out of money, couldn't, couldn't finish the parking lot. Another part they couldn't finish was the kitchen. And so now that's the thing I'm believing God for. God, we need a new kitchen. We are using our kitchen nearly every single day to feed people now. And so, so we need our kitchen redone. So our goal is to be debt-free as a church. But then number two, our goal is that you would be debt-free as well. You see, when we are free from debt, both personally and as a church, we can make a bigger impact on our city because now we have more resources to work with. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. If you're in debt, you know what I'm talking about. Many of us feel like we're in financial prison because we have allowed debt to consume us, and now we no longer have control over our finances. Visa does, MasterCard does, or whoever else it might be. I want to help you, we want to help you as a church get free from this prison. I know personally what it feels like. I want you to be financially free. This is why earlier this year we partnered with Ramsey Solutions or Financial Peace University to give you the tools in how to manage your personal finances and get out of debt. Many people have never been taught this stuff. We've never had a good teacher in our life that knew how to manage finances to teach us how to do this. And I'm surprised, we've been offering this for months, and I'm surprised we haven't had more people sign up than we have. I mean, it's free to you. Everybody should do it, whether you're good at finances or not. Everybody should go through this. I'm sure there's some nuggets you can pull out of it. It's our gift to you. The church has absorbed the cost of this, so you could go through this, no strings attached. We want you to be debt-free. No one's going to ask you for personal information. It's just to bless you. You don't even have to come to a class anymore. You can literally sit in your living room on your phone with your spouse and go over this curriculum. They also give you free budgeting, a budgeting app for, for a year. So here's what I want you to do. We're, we're going we're to do this before we go on. We're going to show a slide here. I want you to take out your phone right now. Unless you've already been through this or signed up for this, but very rarely will I tell you to take out your phone in church, so take advantage of this. And I want you to text the word PEACE to the number that's up on the screen, 920-663-4778. If you don't have your phone and you need to remember that, it's 920-66-FIRST. Okay, text the word PEACE to that number. You will get an auto response, fill out the information. Once you fill out the information, you will get all of the sign-up details sent to your email. So literally before you leave here today, you can have all that information in the palm of your hand to set up your account. It's automatic. It, again, it's free to you. The church has purchased this for you, so please take advantage of it. We want to help you get out of debt. This is part of our vision. Because if we can get out of debt and the church can get out of debt, only God knows the impact that we can have on our city at that time. It's hard to do anything at all when you're in a financial prison. So get signed up for that. Don't delay. Getting, out of, getting your family out of debt would be a great New, New Year's resolution if you, if you believe in that kind of stuff, if you do that kind of thing. So, okay, with that being said, today I want to tell you, I want to explain to you why, I want to teach you why my wife and I, why we personally 
have made the decision to invest into the kingdom of God. Why we have taught our kids to invest into the kingdom of God. Why we support the kingdom of God financially. I'm not going to tell you today that you should. As a matter of fact, I don't think I've, I've preached a message like this for, I think it's been about three years, the last time we went through this is when I preached a message like this. I'm not going to tell you that you should give to the kingdom of God. I'm just going to tell you why we do as a family. Giving to support God's work, to be honest, was the toughest thing for me personally. And if you're not currently doing it, it will probably be the most difficult thing or one of the most difficult things for you as well. And there's a reason for that. You see, money represents security. And the less of it that we have, and some of you that don't have a lot, you'll know what I'm talking about, the more anxious we usually are, the less sleep we get, the harder life is to live. They say money doesn't bring happiness, and I believe that that's true, but it sure does make life easier. People have killed other people over money. People have taken their own life over money. People have gone to prison because they have a, they have a, they've tried to acquire this in an unethical way. So the thought of us giving this precious resource away that we're willing to die for, many of us, in a sense it's like giving away our security. And so there's like this vicious game of tug of war going on inside of us. With that being said, I'm going to read one verse to you today to start. We're going to read several scriptures. I'm going to read one to start. It's found in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. And these are the words of Jesus. This is what he says. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Father, for the next few moments, I just ask that you would give me the mind of Christ as I prepare to teach this difficult subject. God, I just ask in Jesus' name that you would anoint these words. Because God, if you would anoint these words... These words have the power to change lives, but if you don't anoint them, God, they will just fall flat and be meaningless. And so, Father, I just, I thank you for your anointing today. I thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a principle all throughout the Bible from cover to cover. It's the principle of first. Basically, whatever you put first in your life has the power and the ability to greatly impact your future. This applies to both good things and to bad things because the Bible tells us that we will reap what we sow. In Matthew chapter 6 verse 33, we are instructed by Jesus to seek the kingdom of God first above everything else. And this pertains to every area in our life. Most people don't find it difficult to give a little of their time to God. Most People don't find it difficult to give their family to God. Most people don't find it difficult to even say, I'm going to give you my life, God. But there is an area of our life that more often than not, we struggle with putting God first. And that is the area of our finances. For me, just speaking to me personally this morning, this was the most difficult thing to put God first in. And here's why. I'm going to share with you, with you my struggle today and what God has taught me and delivered me from regarding this because there's a lot of bad teaching on this subject. 
Right before Jesus tells us to seek first the kingdom, this is what he says in verse 24. This is Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and he will despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So in the battle for our heart, which is ultimately what God wants, Jesus said that in the battle for the heart, that money would be the number one competitor. I've I've talked on that before. Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money. He didn't say it was hard to serve both God and money. He said you can't do it. Notice he didn't put anything else on that line. Jesus did not say you can't serve both God and family. He didn't say you can't serve both God and career. He didn't even say you can't serve both God and sex. The only thing he put on that line interestingly enough, was money. Jesus said this will be the number one competitor for the human heart over any other area of your life. You see, giving or investing into the kingdom of God is not really about money. As a matter of fact, it has very little to do with money. Giving to God's work is simply about God wanting to know, do I have this area of your heart? Do I have all of your heart? For me, and I'm just being transparent, this was true in my life. My heart was not fully surrendered until I surrendered this. I would tell you it was. I was convinced it was. In some ways it was surrendered, but I I would read the Word of God and I would pray. I would serve faithfully. I would give God my time. But the truth is, is I did not trust Him with my security. Because I need to take care of myself. It's survival of the fittest. And this is mine. I earned it. And I didn't see it then. But I see it now. What I was actually battling with that mindset was the spirit of pride. Because it's about me. And I'm going to take care of myself. I wasn't fully surrendered to God, and I would try to justify it by looking for different teachings on why I should not give because I thought that would make me feel better. Let me tell you something. You can find anything you want on the internet to support your view on something. If you think oranges are blue and you look hard enough, if you look hard enough online, eventually you're going to find somebody else that carries the same view. False information spreads very quickly. Here is the truth. God does not need your money. God does not want your money. The church does not need or want your money. And I've heard people say that for years. That's all the church wants. And you can probably, you probably have heard that as well. Maybe you've said it. Unfortunately, There have been teachers, there have been a television evangelist that have abused this for years and they use fear to pressure people to give, which we're going to talk about, so I can understand that thinking. However, as far as God is concerned, it's absolutely not true. God does not want my money. He wants what it's attached to. He wants my heart. The work of God's going to go on with or without me or my money. The work of God's been going on long before I was born. It'll be going long after I'm, after I'm gone until Jesus returns. It, it's just, that's just the truth of it. There's a deeper purpose behind the giving of our security. 
Let me paint a word picture so you can help see the connection between the heart and money. Imagine for a moment you have $1,000. You have it set aside, it's in the bank, to cover next month's rent payment or house payment or whatever else it might be, but you have it set aside for something specific that is due the following month. A buddy comes up to you and says, hey, I have this investment opportunity. I have some inside information on a certain stock, and I can guarantee you within the next couple of weeks, it's going to triple. So you like that opportunity. He's a good friend of yours. You trust him. And so you take that $1,000 out of the bank. It's gonna, he says within a couple weeks, and you put $1,000 all in. The whole $1,000, your rent money or whatever it might be, is writing on this stock, is, is writing on the word of your friend. Now, here's what's funny. What are you going to do the next day when the stock market opens? <laughs> I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to go check that stock price to see how it's doing. And then you're going to check it again at lunch, and you're going to check it again in the evening, and you're periodically going to get on your phone and check it during the day. You didn't give two cares about that stock the day before, but you do now. Why do you suppose that is? Because you've got money attached to it. And because you've got money attached to it, your heart is attached to your money, you're feeling these emotions now that you didn't feel the day before when that money was sitting in the bank. A week later, stock drops 15% and you begin to panic. You can't sleep. You start experiencing these extreme emotions. You become angry at your friend now. And now more often than not, the friendship's going to come to an end over money. I know people that have given up their childhood, their dearest friendships because somebody wronged them on money. And that sounds ridiculous that we would give up our good friendships and relationships over a little piece of paper. But it's not really about the paper. It's about what the paper's attached to. And that's the heart. You might have heard the tragic story recently of a 20-year-old young man. I think it's been two or three years ago now. But by the name of Alex Kearns. He was given too much leverage or too large of a loan with a stockbroker, and he lost it all, finding himself almost $750,000 in debt almost overnight. Waking up and seeing this massive debt, he felt like he lost all hope, and he took his own life. Now, why would something as simple as that cause people to do things like this? Because it's attached to the heart. And that's why when it comes to money, we fight through all of these different emotions. Now, because it's attached to your heart, and God wants your heart, He gives you some pretty amazing promises if you choose to surrender this part of your life to Him. You don't have to. You don't have to surrender this part of your life. I believe you're still going to go to heaven if you don't surrender this part of your life. It's between you and God. No one's going to twist your arm. This is but completely between you and God. Let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 17 and start reading at verse number 8. Here we see a story where Elijah the prophet comes into contact with a poor widow. 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 8. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, came to Elijah, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. 
Behold, I have commanded, take note of that word commanded, a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and he said, bring me a little water in a vessel so that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So he's asking her for, he's asking her for water, he's asking her for food. And she said, as, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and for my son, that we may eat it and we may die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first, take note of that word, first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent The jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken through Elijah. So let's break this down a little bit. We have two characters here in the story. We have a man named Elijah the prophet, and we have a widow. God commands the widow to feed Elijah. It says, I, God says, I have commanded her. Now, this is important. Even though God has commanded this lady to feed Elijah, her actions would seem to indicate that she has no clue. She meets Elijah. She's out gathering sticks to create a fire to cook the last meal for her and her son. Now, you think if she would have known, she would have said, ah, yes, God told me you would be coming, but we don't see that. Her intentions are strictly to feed her and her son. Now, at this time of history in which the widow lived, it's right, they're right in the middle of a severe drought. The economy had completely collapsed and everybody is struggling to stay alive. It's a very desolate place. There'd been a lot of suffering and no rain in years. So when she says that I'm gathering sticks to make my last meal for my son and I, she's serious. It's all she has left. They're going to eat this and they're probably going to starve to death. So the man of God arrives on the scene. He goes up to this poor widow living in extreme poverty and he asks her for water and bread. She says, I don't have it. This is all I have. We're going to go home. We're going to eat it. We're going to die. Look at verse 13 again. Look at what Elijah says. And he said to her, do not fear. Now this is important. Just to be honest with you for a little bit, this is why most of us that I have found don't actually give to support the work of the work of the Lord. It's that we're scared to. This was one of my issues as well because what if I give this away which is my security and then something goes wrong this week, the car breaks down this week, the basement floods this week and now I don't have the funds to fix it. And again, it's our security. Having that makes us feel secure. This widow had the same type of fear. So he says, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and then afterward make something for you and your son. Now remember how God said he commanded her. This was a test for the widow. 
God was asking her, do you test me with your security? God did not tell her to eat first and then give Elijah the rest. He told her, I want you to give first, then trust me with the rest. If you give first, God says, here's what I will do. And this is what Elijah said in verse 14. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the the, the jar of flour shall not be spent, the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends the rain upon the earth. And so she went and did what Elijah said, and she came, her and her, and she and she and her her and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, the oil did not become empty, according to the word of the Lord that was spoke by Elijah. This did not make sense. How can I possibly give this away and have some left over? This is not logical. Anybody that's good at math will tell you that this will not work. One minus one is zero, not one. But you see, something happened when she obeyed. When she put the first part into the hand of God, the voice of God spoke. And like he says in the book of Malachi that we're going to talk about here in a minute, it says he will rebuke the devourer. What was once cursed is now blessed in the hand of Almighty God. She simply obeyed God and God fulfilled His promise. Now this is a powerful life-changing concept. So let's talk for a moment about the first, or as the Bible calls it, the first fruits. Let's talk about the tithe. There There are three truths that are important to know about the tithe. Number one, tithing is a test. It's a test to see if your heart is fully surrendered. Every time you get paid, you take a test. If you don't get paid, you don't take the test. It's the test of the heart. Now watch this, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6. It says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Notice those three words, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. It's funny that he says he does not change right before he talks about this. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and you've not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. Verse 9, now watch, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. So verse 10 says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there might be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test. So God is saying, I want you to test me, the Lord of hosts, to see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Verse 11, now watch, he says, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fare to fail to bear says the lord of hosts then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight says the lord of hosts here god uses the word tithe the word tithe is a hebrew word and it simply means 10% or 10th part The beauty of this that God has instituted is it's fair for everyone. It doesn't matter if you make $30,000 a year or $300,000 a year. It's a penny for every dime. 
You see, many times when we see the number 10 in the Bible, it represents testing. For instance, there were 10 commandments given. Israel was tested 10 times in the wilderness. Daniel was tested for 10 days. 10 virgins were tested in Matthew chapter 25, and we could go on. So tithing is a test. It's not just a one-way test. It's a two-way test because this is the only place in Scripture where God says we can test him. He says, you can test me to see if I am faithful. You see, God wants to open the floodgates of heaven in our lives. He wants to bless us. He wants us to rebuke the devourer. But it's all based on our decision to surrender this part of our life to him, basically to put our security into his hands. Now, here's what's amazing, and here's one of the reasons why we give why I give. And this completely changed everything for me because I I was raised under some bad teaching on this. Now, I was always taught, um, I was always taught that you better give because if you don't give, God will curse you. And I have heard preachers and I have heard television evangelists say that. And that's, again, that's what I was raised under. And they will beat you over the head with this, and they will say, if you do not give to the work of the Lord, God will curse you. They said, you are robbing God. And many preachers are still preaching that today because that's what they have been taught. That's what I was taught. And so early on in my Christian walk, I would give, but I would give out of fear because Lord, nobody wants God to curse them. And so (laughs) I would give out of fear, and I would be the biggest grouch doing it. It would make me angry. And my view of God was not a God of love. My view of God was this this mean kid on the hill with a magnifying glass. And if I didn't give, he's going to burn my little fingers off. So I was giving out of fear. And because I was giving out of fear and not out of love, even though I was giving, God didn't truly have what he wanted. My heart. He didn't want my money. He wanted my heart. And I would read things like 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6 that says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It says God loves it when I give cheerfully. But when I gave in those early days, there was nothing cheerful about it. But I don't want God to curse me. So that's why I'm going to give. I don't want the curse of God to be upon me. I don't want him to smite me. But then I learned the truth. And when I learned the truth that I'm going to share with you, everything for me changed. The truth set me free. Look at verse 7 again. It says, each must, each one should give as he has decided in his heart. Again, going back to the heart. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. When I gave out of fear, my heart wasn't fully surrendered. So I gave reluctantly. I did it with a bad attitude. And that was me for the longest time. I would read this, and I, I'd read, I, I would read this how I'm supposed to give cheerfully, but, but I, I, would, I, I wasn't cheerful at all, and I would think, how in the world could anybody ever be cheerful about giving away their security? And then I began to study Malachi 3, which we just read a little bit ago, and it clicked. 
I realize for the first time that God will not curse me if I choose not to give. Did you hear me? God will not curse you if you choose not to give. You can never give a penny to the, to the work of the Lord if you don't want to. God will not curse you. That's not what it says. Instead, now watch this. When I bring God the tithe, he promises to redeem the rest. He promises to protect it from the curse. You see, we live in a fallen world. When Adam and Eve ate that fruit, there was a curse that came upon our world. Everything was cursed. Everything in life is cursed. And it's cursed because of sin. It's cursed because of our choice to sin. God does not say that He is the one that brings the curse upon us. Upon our finances. It's already cursed. You can't curse it anymore. So understand this. When you choose to give God your first, when you choose to fully surrender that part of your heart, He promises to redeem the rest from the curse. I realize that giving is a redemption principle because our God is a redeeming God. Think of it this way. Jesus was God's tithe. God gave his first. He gave his best to redeem us from the curse of the world. So even though we live in a cursed world, when we invite Jesus Christ to come into our lives, to be our Lord and our Savior, we are now rescued from the curse spiritually. God tells us that he will rebuke the devourer in our lives if we are faithful with this. The devourer is already there knocking at your door every day. But God says, if you trust me with this, I will deliver you. I will rescue you from that. I will protect you from that. And when I finally realized this, my giving went from fear-based to love-based. And it's now easy for me to give and give cheerfully. I no longer give reluctantly like I did when I was under that spirit of fear. I don't have to give to the work of God. I understand that now. I get to give to the work of God. And it was the realization of what God did for me and His redeeming power that finally allowed me to surrender all of my heart to Him. Because He didn't have it before. I would have told you he had it all, but the reality is, I'm just being honest with you today and sharing my story, he didn't. It's impossible because God, Jesus himself said, you can't serve both God and money. One or the other will have your heart. There's no in-between. So tithing is a test. It's the test of the condition of your heart. Number two, tithing was practiced in the New Testament. Here we go. A lot of people say that tithing was only an Old Testament principle. They say tithing is not in the New Testament. And this is, I know this because this is one that I used <laughs> to try and defend my reasons for not giving. I'm just being honest. But then I read the New Testament instead of just taking somebody's word for it. And there it was. Look at this. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23. This is Jesus talking. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you tithe, so he's telling, telling them that they do this, mint and dill and cumin, 
and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Jesus said you should have done this. These you ought to have done, talking about the tithe, because the religious leaders paid the tithe. They were very faithful with that. But he said you shouldn't neglect this. So they were neglecting something else. The NLT translates the words of Jesus in verse 23 to say you should tithe Yes, words of Jesus. The truth is, tithing was followed in the New Testament. If tithing had stopped, Jesus would not have said, you should tithe yes. He said, it's good for you that you tithe. He told them to do it. These are the words of Jesus. This would have been a great place for him to come in and bring correction if this was no longer to be practiced. But he supported it. He encouraged it. Tithing was practiced when Jesus walked this earth. And even he tells us that we should obey God in this area. Here's another place, Luke chapter 18 and verse 10. Jesus is telling a parable. Here's what he says. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector, The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, for I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all I get. So he's trying to boast, talking about his fasting and his giving. Here again, tithing is clearly practiced by this man in this illustration. Jesus could have used any spiritual discipline here to make his point, but he uses the illustration of the tithe. So tithing was practiced in both the Old and New Testament. Money is connected to your heart. God wants your heart. That won't change. God says in Malachi chapter 3, which we read earlier, that he does not change. And here's my final point. Tithing breaks the curse. Now watch this. This is amazing. This is a true example of this, of this in life, in real life. Let's look at Second Chronicles. This is a time of Hezekiah, and the people are experiencing an economic recession. Hezekiah realizes that they are under a curse. The whole nation is under a curse. So look at what they do. Look at the command that is given to break that curse. God did not bring this curse upon them. They are under a curse. We live in a cursed world. Second Chronicles chapter 31 and verse number 4. And so he commanded the people who lived in Jerusalem to give the portion due to the priests and the Levites that they might give themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as the command was spread abroad, the people of Israel gave in abundance the first fruits, there it is, of grain, wine, oil, honey, and of all the produce of the field. And they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. Verse 6. And the people of Israel and Judah who lived in the cities of Judah also brought in the tithe of cattle and sheep and the tithe of the dedicated things that had been dedicated to the Lord their God. And they laid them in heaps. In the third month, they begin to pile up the heaps, and they finish them in the seventh month. So this was a long time. It wasn't just a one-time-and-done thing. This was something, okay, we're serious about this. We're going to make God number one. 
When Hezekiah and the princess came, the, the princes, this verse 8, came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. And Hezekiah questioned the priests and the Levites about the heaps. As, so Hezekiah comes up and says, what in the world's going on, man? We, we had nothing. What's all this stuff? Azariah, the chief priest who was in the house of Zadok, answered him, since they begin to bring the contributions into the house of the Lord, we have eaten and we have had plenty left, for the Lord has blessed his people so that we have this large amount left. Tithing breaks the curse. And when the curse is broken in your life, you'll begin to see the blessings of God. He said to test him. I don't, I'm not telling you to test him. God said to test him. And there were times that I wrote the check. Back in the days we used to write the checks. And I would say, God, I'm testing you with that. Because you said you would open the floodgates. You said you would protect me from the curse. You would redeem it from the curse. You would protect me from the devourer. But it's your choice. No one will twist your arm. This is between you and God. But he wants to redeem you from the cursed, the curse. You know, there's nothing like investing in the kingdom of God. And I'm going to close with this. I could sit up here all day and I could tell you about the goodness of God and what I've seen in my own life, the miracles I've seen in my own life based on following the principle of first. And this is included in all areas of your life, not just this. When you put God first in your life in anything, he honors that. This truth was the toughest of those to obey. But this has impacted my life like nothing else has. You see, I've come to realize today, I've been doing this, I've been a pastor now for well more than 20 years. And I know that one day I'm going to be laying on my deathbed. Can't avoid it. They say the only two things guaranteed in life are death and taxes. I'm, I'm gonna, we're all, it's it's going to hit us all. It's guaranteed. We're all going to face it. And being in this position, I have been around a lot of people, a lot of people that have passed on. I've watched people pass on. I've been at their bedside when they passed on. And I can tell you from the experience of watching other people that I know that I know that I know when I am there, I'm not going to give two cares about the size of my bank account. I'm not going to care about the maker model of the car sitting in my driveway. I have done many funerals over the years, and I've never once seen a U-Haul following the hearse. The only thing I'm going to be able to take with me are the souls that I have won to the kingdom. That's all I can take. Nothing else can we take, but you can take the souls that you win to the kingdom. And so I know that when I give into the work of God, I'm I'm giving into something that's going to outlast me. After I'm dead and gone and my money's in the bank, it's being dispersed however. My investment into the kingdom will outlive me. The investment into the kingdom I know is the only investment I can make that I am guaranteed to see a return on. And that's why we invest into the kingdom. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes.
Father, I just want to thank you. Thank you, God, for your word. God, I'm believing in here today that you have set some people free that have been taught some incorrect things. And they've had the spirit of fear over them when it comes to this. And your word says that you do not give us the spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And so, God, I'm believing that you have set some some people free in here today that have been bound to this, the lie of fear, and that I should give because of this. God, I thank you for the opportunity to give. I thank you, God, that you have blessed me with the mind that you have and you've blessed me with the gifts that you have so that I can give back to support your kingdom and see souls won to your kingdom and see lives changed for your glory, to see people set free from addiction, to see marriages restored. That's what I get to give towards the lives of others to see them set free. And so I can give cheerfully. I can give abundantly because God, you have blessed me and so I thank you for that. I thank you for those in this room today, God, that have maybe been struggling with this and maybe today's message is is a light bulb for them. And they leave here today and say, what can I do? How can I give to support the kingdom of God? Wherever that might be, and I might not even be here, it might be somewhere else but to support your kingdom, to see people won, to see souls saved. And I thank you for it. I thank you for the opportunity to give. In Jesus' name, I want you to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed.